Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sunday School by Matt Carpenter on April 18th, Lord's Day Service. We are a confessional church. We hold to specific beliefs that are found in Scripture and summarized in the ancient creeds of the church. That is the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, and there are several other meetings of the church where they made certain proclamations to which we hold. And then, of course, there are also the confessions of the Reformation. We do not believe that the church stopped being the church after the Apostle John died. There are those who say that the church went into this kind of exile for a while, that it just it went into a cave and nobody could really find it except a few random people here and there, but there was no visible evidence of the church from you know right after the apostolic period until Martin Luther shows up. But again, if you believe that the Holy Spirit has worked through the church throughout history, is he going to leave? Is Jesus going to leave his bride alone to fend for herself for a thousand years and then show back up? No. The Lord has never abdicated his wife. He bought her 2,000 years ago. And he's remained with her ever since. Now, there have been times where the church has been stronger and where the church has been weaker. It has waxed and waned, but it will never cease to exist. And the teaching of the gospel has never ceased since she was established. Since we've been given the promise of God, even back to Adam and Eve, the historical Adam and Eve, thousands of years prior, when they were told, the seed of the serpent will have enmity with your seed, the seed of the woman, and you will crush, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will crush the woman's seed's heel. Ever since that promise, the gospel has been made known in some form. These teachings, again, that we'll talk about, they did not begin with Luther or with Calvin. These doctrines were clearly taught by men like Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, John Chrysostom, Athanasius, Augustine, Anselm, Thomas Aquinas, and many, many more. The church has maintained a witness throughout history. Nothing, I say this morning, absolutely nothing is new. And by new, I mean less than 500 years old. It has been taught from the beginning. So I, I want to make a distinction, though, because the things that I emphasize today will center on what are particularly Protestant 
and reformed teachings. And the best way, the best overview I can give you, I'm not, we're not gonna, this is not church history, so we're not going to talk about the specifics of the Reformation, but we can, cons- we can look at it from this perspective. The difference when the Reformation came, the Lord was working in the church again to display the difference between two isms. Synergism and monergism. The, the term synergism is, it, it, it means working together. It's from, as oddly as this sounds, sin, S-Y-N. Okay, if you can't see over there, we're not talking about the, the stuff that we're all falling into in Adam. This is S-Y-N. Sin means together. The Greek word ergo means work. So it means to work together. The term monergism means one who works alone. Mono is one, and again, ergo, work. So working alone. Synergism is the belief that man must cooperate with God for salvation. God does His part, I do my part, and then we're together. Then we have salvation. But monergism is a distinctly Protestant perspective on salvation. And I say Protestant because if you read not only the, you know, the, the Westminster Confession, but if you read the Augsburg Confession, that's the Lutheran Confession. If you read the 39 Articles of Anglicanism, the major branches of the, of the Reformation all held to monergism, that God must work, and it is the work of Jesus Christ alone that brings us salvation. But, you may say, Does this mean that we just sit back, relax, and don't have to do anything? And the answer is, it depends on what you mean by that. For this reason, it will look potentially the same. If you see two different people, and they're both striving, they're pursuing Christ. Now, one person has a belief that it is I have to cooperate with God. But they still, in their heart, they're they're trying, they they trust in Christ, they're believing. Let's say they're from a different tradition than ours, but but they're within the, the Nicene Christianity. They're pursuing the Lord, but they don't have the right belief. And then on the other hand, you have someone who does believe in monergism, who believes it's all the work of Christ, but we are still called to please Him, so I'm going to pursue Him in honoring Him and loving my neighbor. They may look the same, and they may have different beliefs, but guess what? Because Jesus Christ alone does the work, because we believe in justification by faith alone, having all your beliefs precise, nailed down, and accurate is not the prerequisite to salvation. Think about it. If we had to have all of our beliefs perfect before we could make it, who would make it? 
It's a good thing nobody's raising their hand. We wouldn't. It's God's gift. So it will look the same. And I don't want you to think that anyone who doesn't believe the things that I talk about this morning that, that we're saying they're destined for eternal damnation. That's not the point here. But the point is we still are called to have right doctrine. We are part of the Lord's church. And the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. So, with that introduction in mind, we're going to focus this morning on what are called the five solas of the Reformation. Sola, again, means alone. And really, you can take this in a way that it actually can explain the gospel to us. So look at it that way. And just as a side note, I will add, don't treat doctrine as something that's a puzzle, that we put it together and we can paste it on our wall, we can frame it, so that anybody that comes in will know that it's all the way it should be and leave it on the wall. Because dead doctrine leads to dead souls. Your doctrine must be alive. So, what are these five solas? The first one is sola. Scriptura. Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone. The Scriptures, as revealed in the Old and New Testaments, are the final and highest authority of the church. This does not, though, exclude tradition. That is what we just talked about. Uh, creeds, confessions, uh, certain church councils, but it does mean that God's Word must be the last word on everything that's taught. Every teaching that we, to which we hold must be subservient to Scripture. And anything that we teach that is a, 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 a second or third tier application of Scripture, we should be willing to hold more loosely than those things that are clearly taught in Scripture. So, I'll refer back uh, again now to Paul's second epistle to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. I'm sure you probably have heard this before. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Scripture is the only text inspired by God. We can understand 
more of what God's Word teaches through creeds and through councils and through confessions, we can understand what is taught in hearing the Word of God proclaimed each week. But we must always test whatever man-made, man-presented teachings are through the grid of Scripture. Anything less is a faulty application. So why do we begin with sola scriptura? It's because scripture is the place where we learn of the salvation we've received. If you don't know where to look for treasure, you can, you can do a lot of hunting and you can find a lot of fool's gold. But unless you know it comes from the source, it's empty. So we, we begin, the gospel begins with understanding where we find the gospel. And it's found in the Word of God. So it begins with Scripture alone. Next, sola my Latin spelling is not very good. So, sola Christus, which means Christ alone. Our salvation is through Jesus Christ and no one else. There are no mediators. A mediator is someone who goes between two different parties, usually two parties who are divided. We need someone, and we needed someone since the fall of man to go between us. One of the saddest verses in Scripture, but also one that is edged with hope, is when Job says, oh, that there were a daysman. That's an old word that means mediator. Oh, that there were a daysman between me and God. You remember Job. You remember the, the sorrow that he faced, the trouble that he faced. And, and Job is looking in faith, wishing for, longing for someone who could go to God on his behalf, yet we know because we live on this side of the cross, what happened? We don't, we're not left there. That's good news. We're not left wishing that there was someone who would, who would go between. I mean, and you can say, well, Israel had priests, didn't they? And yes, they did. They had priests. They had sacrifices. They had a Levitical system. They had all these things. But there's always this element of doubt. I mean, look. You all see the news. You know what people are like. Even people who serve in the church. It's hard to go a month without reading some new scandal of the day in Christianity. Particularly with Christian leaders. There's a lot of people who at least give the excuse, don't know that it really 
is worth very much, but, but they give the excuse, I'm not a Christian because look at all those sorry hypocrites, a lot of them leading the church. Okay? Well, that's true, but <laughs> good news. Our salvation is not based on the perfection of any man except one. He's the one that we rely on. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So we can depend on Christ. We don't have to worry. Your salvation's not based on how good your church is, how good your pastor is, how good your elders are. Thankfully, it's not even based on how good you are. It's based on one mediator, Jesus Christ. So that is part of God's gift to us. Next, salvation. Our salvation is through grace alone. Sola. Gratia. It is God's grace that gives us salvation. And so, so let, let's unpack this a little bit. He chose you in Christ not because He looked at you and said, wow, this person's going to be awesome. Look at all the potential here. I mean, if you really want to break this down, who gave who gave you the potential in the first place? But God didn't look on us and say, this one's got a lot of talent. I'm going to choose him because of his talent. Yeah, yeah have you ever, did any of you ever play sports like those pickup teams when you're a kid? You know where I'm going with this. Some in this room, I'm sure, we're always the first to be chosen. You can probably remember, you can probably think of an instance of who those people were. Maybe it was you. And then there's also others of us who were not so blessed, who were not always the first chosen. And then there's always those who are the last. Why, do you, why are the last people chosen last? Well, because they're still standing there and they want to play the game. But not because, I mean, but they're chosen. The people who are chosen first are chosen first because they're the best. And sometimes we can think, perhaps, that God chooses us like He chooses teams. Like we choose teams. You know, oh, that one's going to, he's going to be good. He's got speaking talent. She has great gifts. I want her. No. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 9, which is one of the more neglected passages in Paul's letter to the Romans, he says this, verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, 
nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God looks on us, He looked upon us in our frailty, in our sinfulness, knowing that we all would fall, that we did fall with our father Adam, and we would make continual choices to fall throughout our lives. He looked upon us not because of our work, but because He is a gracious and a kind God. If He saved us because we were good, we were good, we, that, that we were good enough, eventually that would wear off and we wouldn't be good enough anymore. So it's good news that He doesn't save you because you're good enough. He saves you because He is good. And His, good, His goodness never runs out. It never falters. There is no fail or lack in God's grace. So our salvation is through grace alone. Next, we believe sola fide, by faith alone. Our faith rests upon Christ, upon His work, and nothing else. This is where the the, the synergism and monergism discussion come in. We don't rely on something we do to please God. In Reformation times, those things, those works that, that people were expected to do, the way that you would prove, the way that you would show God that you meant business, the way that you would work enough to receive grace is that you would, you would go to confession. You would go to the Mass. You would be baptized. You would do certain good works. And you would give. And then you would give. And you would give. In case you can't tell, giving was a really big deal in, late, in the late medieval church. And there were people who became disenchanted with the church because they saw shysters, they saw charlatans who were taking money for purposes that was not for building the glory of God, but for building the glory of man, for giving themselves something greater. Sound familiar? Some things don't change. But again, our works, the, the good news in the Reformation that was recovered was that our works are not required to be right with God. If it was only a transfer of works, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we have an eternal debt. And there's not enough works. We don't have enough works that we can do to make ourselves right with God. And, you know, and so for us, this is all, it's always a danger because we can, we can just develop our own sense of works, our own list of things that we do. And each church has its own virtuous works. Okay? We talk about those who are liberal who engage in virtue signaling. Conservatives have their own virtue signaling. Okay? It's just the way it is. So, for us, you know, it can be 
Do you come to church every week? Do you use the right words? Do you know all the, the correct doctrinal lingo? Do you... It goes on and on and on. But it's no more debt. It's no more our works today. We're not working to pay off a debt today any more than we were 2,000 years ago. It is and always has been the work of Christ. Now, this is not to speak against works. Yes, the works will follow faith. What does Paul say? Cueing back on Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. There's life. Faith that is true faith has life. There is a display of that faith. Faith leads to works. There is what we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. So it's not that works don't matter. But again, the question is, where does the origin of grace and where does the strength come from? It's that we are trusting not in ourselves. We're trusting in God who raises from the dead. So, if you are tempted to trust in your own goodness, you say, I wouldn't do that. But have you ever said, I've not prayed enough today? Or, I've sinned a lot today? Or, I'm not doing enough. I've got to work harder. And then God will be pleased with me. That is thinking from a debtor mindset. And you're not a debtor. You're a son. You're a daughter. It's all of God's grace. And when, it, when we say it is by faith alone, don't even turn that into a work that we have to do. I have to believe hard enough. I have to, to, to make sure that I've got my mind right. No. Our faith is not a work. To say it is by faith alone is, is shorthand for saying that Jesus did everything. And if you look to Him, you'll be saved. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It means you trust in Jesus and not yourself. So then, we see the gospel revealed in Scripture. It reveals Christ to us and His work, it's manifested to us out of God's grace. We rest upon that good news in faith. And then, when all is said and done, it is sola Deo Gloria. To the glory of God 
alone. This is the capstone of the solas of the Reformation. It means that everything you do in life is to the glory of God. You didn't start your salvation. You don't finish your salvation. Yes, we are called to work, but again, we do so in the strength of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he said that I worked harder, I thank my God that I worked harder than you all, which is bold language. But then he said this, I thank my God I worked harder than you all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Now, if we were to look back at the Apostle Paul's accomplishments and his missionary journeys and all the things that he did, all the stripes he received, the persecution he faced, we would say, that is amazing. How on earth could someone not receive credit, not, be, not appreciate adulation from people? And Paul is saying, yes, I worked hard, but it's just God's grace working in me. Everything you and I have is from God. And we are called to use our gifts, our strengths, and even our weaknesses to honor Him. So that in the end, on the last day, when we stand before Him, every good thing that is known about us, we will be able to say, Thank you, Father. Because He's the one that made us. He's the one that gave us the strength to do it. He's the one that saved us. Everything, from beginning to end, it's Him. And we can be happy about that. We can rejoice on that. Think about this. There are millions of possibilities. If you studied your, your, the, the reproductive sciences... There, you know there are millions and millions and millions of possibilities that could have been someone instead of you who is conceived. I mean, if you think about that, our, our mind kind of just shuts down after we get to about, you know, four or five hundred or so. I mean, we really, it's hard to contemplate five hundred to a thousand. You know, after that, it's all the different possibilities. And God said, I want this one. And I'm going to take this one and I'm going to use them. I'm going to fill them with my spirit. I'm going to save them. I'm going to work in them. I'm going to use them to minister to thousands of other people, many of whom they will never even know that they had an impact. And that's what He's chosen to do with you. And then, then, after this vapor of time is over, you're going to stand before Him and you're going to see this infinite panorama of majesty and glory that will dwarf anything that we could ever see on this earth or in the universe. And it will be so beautiful, we're not able to comprehend it. And He will say, welcome. You have a few billion friends here who would like to get to know you better. And you have infinite time to do so. What are you going to tell him? What are you going to say to him? Who has done all this for you in his kindness and goodness and grace? What are you going to say? 
Thank you. I love you. I don't know. But whatever it is, there will be more still in your heart to say, and thankfully you will have all of eternity to express it. Now there are other doctrines as well. Um, I am. That, that's a lot, honestly. And so I, I don't want to, to over, to teach too much. But I do want to stress this, you know, as our, our church, official church confession is the Westminster Confession. And if you read it, if you've not read it before, it can seem a little daunting. Not just the, the somewhat dense language in it, but some of the concepts are difficult to understand. So, in our church, part of our policy is that we, while we have a church confession, members to the, in the church are not required to hold to the Westminster Confession. You're not given an exam that you have to make a 75 on in order to be a part of the church. No, when you join and you've heard the membership vows, you come into the church simply holding to the truth of the faith. I'm a sinner in need of Christ alone for salvation. I've come into the church through Christ in baptism. And I promise that I will give myself to this local congregation. I will pursue its purity and peace. You're making a commitment that you have followed God and you're going to love your neighbors. That's what it comes down to. That's what we ask members to hold. There are other things that we, that, that we do teach as well here that, that, that do make us not just Protestant, but make us Reformed. And this can be seen as if we had to put put it all under one thing, it would be that God is sovereign. The word sovereign means monarch or king. When a country is sovereign, that means that that country does not have to answer to anyone else, to any other country for what it does. You know, the actual term country should be state. But we don't use state anymore because even though originally the 13 states, we were 13 separate countries. But then under our government, we, we promised to pledge mutual, mutually together and we gave sovereignty to a national government. Well, we teach that God is sovereign. In other words, that God rules over all. It means that every action that has ever happened before or that will happen is under His control. 
The best verse I know that explains this is Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. The, <clears throat> to my knowledge, the only passage of Scripture that was penned by a Gentile in the Old Testament. This is just one of those lovely ironies of how God uses people who opposed Him and turns their hearts. Nebuchadnezzar said this, He doeth, that is God does, according to His will. And the armies of heaven and the inhabitants among earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? God is sovereign. The most powerful king in the world at that time made this claim. And he was right. We can wrestle against God's control over all things. But if he's really God, how can he not be in control of all things? You say, well, I don't want him... I don't want to think about God being over evil, but, but i got a question. Have you ever thought about how much evil He's stopped in the past? How much evil He's, he, he, he's prevented? He's, he's kept from happening? I don't know all the reasons why He does what He does. And, and no one can explain this, but when we, we claim we believe that God is sovereign, that He chose us, He chose us as His people, to love Him, to honor Him. We love Him, John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He, what? First loved us, okay? Who's first in the love here? God. That's, that's really what God's sovereignty means. We, we can easily get in, you know, into the deep weeds on this. Well, when... Did He choose us at what point before the foundation of the world? No, 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 no. That's, that, that, that's great seminary discussion. That's great discussion with Jason. So, but we can lose sight of our calling when we burrow too far down. If you rest in the work of Christ. If you trust that God rules and reigns over all things, including the salvation of man, and that He is working in us to will and do His good pleasure, that Jesus did indeed purchase His bride, even though, what well, we can trust that even though we fall at times, He is going to raise us up. Why? Because not only does He start our salvation... He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. If you are in union with Christ, He says to you, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. That is God's gift. To us. It's all of God from beginning 
to end. Amen? Amen. Go ahead, Lord. Can, can you talk, do you mind talking a, a bit for just another minute or two about um, dispensationalism? Is that, is that worth diving into? Oh, sure. <laughs> very briefly, just maybe. It's a distinct, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a 30 second. That, 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 well, okay, that we are not dispensationalists. We'll start out with that. See, okay. I love you, brother. How do you look at that, what God has done in history? Is he the same God that talked to Adam, that spoke to Moses, as he is now? Okay, that's where we start. Because there, a common teaching, uh, really only about 200 years old, which I have to say, if anything is less than one or 200 years old in church history, that you should at least give more thought to pursuing has this been taught before. 200 years old is pretty new. Okay. So, dispensationalism is a teaching that says that God displayed himself in, di in different dispensations or different periods of history. So God in the, 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 the old, let's say when, when he gave the Torah, he revealed himself to them in the law and they had to follow the law. And then after a time, there was uh, you know, period in, in the monarchy and so on that each time God has different, it teaches God has different requirements for his people in different periods of history. And that eventually we're going to be at a point to where he will only require us to follow the Sermon on the Mount. Now this is the older version of dispensationalism. It's been modified a little bit. But for us and for our church, part of our, we teach that he has the same, he is the same God. He has made himself known to us always. Salvation has always been through Christ. And we don't hold that there are different manifestations of what is required of his people in different periods of history. We've always been saved through Christ. Even those in the Old Covenant were saved through Christ, though He had not yet come and died. Their salvation was tied to the work of Jesus. It actually would require a little bit longer than the two minutes that I just gave it. All right, well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will be dismissed. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for teaching us Your Word. Thank You for letting us know who you are, revealing yourself to us through Christ. And I pray that you bless us as we prepare for worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh.